over the years, um, because of the work that I was doing, I would have the opportunity to meet people who write books, famous authors, almost always of Christian literature. And it was always quite an experience to, to meet the person whose book you had read. So you had certain opinions about the book and the views in the book and in behind that. I think you sort of characterized um, really a caricature of, of the person who must have written this. Some of those were, were delightful experiences and some weren't so delightful. We, we had one speaker come and, and talk and he, he's, he was one of those speakers that had said something once and nobody challenged him so he said it twice and then he kept on saying it like it was true. Maybe about, not like the two snowflakes, because that obviously is true. This guy, uh, in his talk, he said, um, every good pastor, um, if he is faithful, will see all of his children in the ministry. So I was going to drive him to the airport afterwards, and Colin was with me. And Colin is quite outspoken several times, so I... He, he kind of poked at this guy and said, you know, that was interesting what he said. Anyway, when we dropped the man off at the airport, uh, Colin said, so, Dad, how does it feel to be a four-time loser? <laughs> Ouch! Uh, we had another speaker who came, and I loved his book until I met him. And it, just, it was just like, no the two weren't in sync. So what, what are we doing here? We're going to look at nine characters, as, as Mary said. And I'm calling this series Out of My Box because the immediate thing that we rush to when we talk about character types or personality types and so on um, is that, oh, somebody's going to put me in a box and say, there, um, that's who you are, that's how you behave, that's what you will be doing. Um, and, and so I, I want to point out that we're going to look at one of those, um, but we're going to look at the Enneagram light. I'm not going to bring all kinds of theory to you, and if, if you are intrigued by what we do talk about, um, you can do a web search and you will find hundreds of thousands of articles on this typing um, mechanism that is so old that we're really not sure where it started. Um, but it's an ancient way that people have understood the nine types um, of humankind and how those types reach out to the ones next to them, the ones far away, and so on. Um, and even though we may be prone to think, oh, that's going to try to put me in a box, the point is that the Enneagram will more likely identify the box that we tend to put ourselves in. And so it may help some of us to say, oh, that's why I'm like that, or that actually is true, and that has made it clear to me that that is true about me, so I'll be able to walk out of the box. Um, the idea is the box is full of me. And when I open the box, I can look into the contents and say, hmm, I think I like some of the things in my box. I think they'll, I'll leave them in there. Um, 
I, I think there's some things in my box that I could really use. I had forgotten they were in my box, so I'm going to take them out and use them. Or there may be some things that I see and I say, oh my goodness, why is that in my box? And I'll ditch those things. And I'll, I'll sort of have a house cleaning experience with my box. So having said that, let me quickly this morning um, tell you what the nine types are. And then what we're going to do more than understand the types is understand the Bible characters. And Mary has given us a great start in that by introducing us to the first one that we're going to look at. But what are the nine types? Um, Richard Rohr is the person that, if you will search him, he is the, he's the master of the Enneagram. He's a, um, a priest now in his 70s and has written extensively on the Enneagram and is very wise um, perceptive person. The way that he describes the nine is by identifying the need that is at the core of each of the types. So very quickly, here are the nine. The first one is the need to be perfect. And I know that as I go through this, you will say, oh my goodness, that's me already, or that's somebody else already, so we want to resist that. Um, Nobody is allowed to be pointing around the room. Right or looking knowingly at anybody else, just stare forward. Okay, don't deviate. The second is the need to be needed, and I've put there's another descriptor beside that we may from time to time see how that helps. This is the helper, but the need to be needed. The third one is the need to succeed, the achiever. The fourth one is the need to be special, the individualist. The need to perceive, the investigator. The need to be secure, the loyalist. The need to avoid pain, the enthusiast. The need to be against. The need to avoid. So we'll come back to these. Um, as we make our way through. And just so you know that this is a complicated topic, there's the chart. So if, if you want to get a copy of the chart and learn it and teach it, you're, you're welcome to it. But just so you see what people have done through the years. What, what do we want to do today? We, we want to look at Saul. And um, there's, um, um, it, it's not in the New Testament, but it seems to be a well-attested uh, fragment from a letter that Paul wrote. It's, it's Paul and Thecla. There was a person called Thecla, and Paul had interactions with this person. And in that, there is a description of Paul's physical appearance. So I, if I were to say to you, think about the Apostle Paul. What, what sort of person comes to mind? How tall is he? How big is he? What does he look like? Well, from what we understand in this fragment, um, Paul had a unibrow, he was kind of short, um, and he was kind of bulldogish. And you might say, you know what? That actually fits what I think he possibly was like. Well, what do we remember about Saul and Paul, as, as he was then known? And what is, what is it that we can learn as we sort of grab on to this type um, that is the need to be perfect? So as, as Mary told us, he, Saul had a, um, a very interesting beginning because the, the narrative in Acts is that Stephen, who was um, 
a follower of Jesus and was the first martyr, um, was, was slain. And there's just a, a little sort of ending comment that says, Paul was giving assent to his death. So that Saul was probably a younger person in the, the crowd, but somehow he was a, an assent giver to the death of Stephen. So as Stephen is reaching up into glory as he's martyred, uh, that doesn't that doesn't change Saul's heart in the in the in the least in the least. He is murderously angry at the followers of Jesus. That anger towards the followers of Jesus is is something that should baffle us. Um, if following Jesus was just following a good teacher, a good leader, why is there such hatred? in the world and all the way through history for the people that follow Jesus. Um, we're at Orthodox um, Christmas time, and you remember not very long ago the picture of, of several Ethiopian followers of Christ who were beheaded on the beach because they were the followers of Christ. Well, Saul was you know, the first in a line of persecutors um, of those who martyred followers of Jesus. Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. And there's what Mary told us happened. It happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the text goes on, and he says, Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Saul was um, struck blind, and he was, he was helped by a, a young believer, um, Barnabas, who, who um, trusted in who he was, and Ananias was the house that he went to. Um, the personality of Saul, when he came to know Jesus, um, is a personality that in some ways stuck and in other ways didn't stick. And I think as, as we try to understand different characters in the Bible and, and look at the things that are sort of notable and desirable about them, um, we'll also note some things that are not desirable about them, and, and, and we'll sort through and see what we ought to emulate. But when it comes to Saul, uh, he had this blinding experience where he was fundamentally confronted with the truth, and he, his heart was won over to the Savior, to, to the Jesus that he had been per persecuting for, for all this time. So all of the strength of the personality that drove him to persecute believers, became somehow part and parcel of the personality of the Paul who would be the radical world changer for Jesus. When, when people become followers of Jesus, it's, it's always interesting to see how they are changed. We, we know that spiritually we are changed. We're told uh, by Paul that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And the hope for Christian growth and the hope for spiritual growth 
is the hope that we have actually been changed on the inside. So as we are changed on the inside, we properly kind of ask, well, what should change on the outside? Some of us came from a tradition um, that made it very clear how the outside was to change. Um, that if you were really changed on the inside, um, the Holy Spirit may change you if he wants, but we're going to tell you how he should change you, and we'll just make it easier for him, and we'll make it easier for us by prescribing the ways that you ought to change on the outside. So you're, you're sort of wondering about a Saul when he was so radically against God and driven in his mission to eradicate um, the earth of the followers of Jesus, what will it be like now that he's been changed? Now that he, on the inside, is recreated? What happens to the outside of him? What happens to the personality that he brought with him to the Damascus Road? You will know people who have had radical changes in, in their lives, and you will know others whose lives haven't really apparently changed a whole lot. When I was in high school in St. Catharines, there was a young man in our school who was a Saul. He used to, he used to mock Christians. Um, we had an ISCF group, Inner School Christian Fellowship. I was new to Canada, um, and the majority of the, the members of this ISCF group in St. Catharines were Mennonites. I don't know if we have any Mennonites in Ireland. I'd, I had not met any before we moved to St. Catharines. And this guy used to see us as the ISCF group. We'd be on the, the grounds for a, a prayer time or something like that. And he would mock us as Mennonites. He would say, hey, Mennonites, oh, look, there are the Mennonites. The Mennonites are praying. And I'm going, I'm not even a Mennonite. What is this guy doing? So his anger was kind of a taunting anger uh, against these Christians. One day, we came to school, and Ron was his name. Ron was doing cartwheels and handstands on the front of the school. And as he was doing all of this, beside him was a great big black Bible. And we thought, the few of us that walked to school together from that group, we thought, oh my goodness, what's he doing? How, how are we going to react to what he says this time? Well, as, as we got closer, we, we saw that he stopped and he was giving a testimony on the school grounds to the fact that he had just trusted Jesus as a savior the night before. We had a, an interesting movement among the youth of St. Catharines there. It was called the Barn. And it literally began in a barn. And it was a revival among the youth population of, of St. Catharines. And Ron had been saved at the barn and was there to preach to the student population at that high school um, that he was now a follower of Jesus. He changed radically. Uh, the things that about him were caustic now became gentle. Uh, and, and there was a big, big personality shift, if you like. Was there a big personality shift with Saul? And if you are someone who maybe is saying, I don't think my personality changed at all, really. And should it have? I mean, should I be different now that I'm following Christ? And how should I be different? Well, certainly what Saul um, gave to Paul that sort of traveled into his Christianity 
was an absolute passion um, that was embedded and burning in him for the cause that was now before him. The first cause was that he was going to eradicate Christians. The new cause was that he was going to reach the world with the gospel. Particularly, he was going to reach the Gentiles. He was going to go through his path um, with the Jews to the Messiah and then to the whole world. So how, how did Paul behave? There's a few uh, accounts of ways that he interacted with others as he was now the Paul of, of our Bible story. And in Acts or Galatians, I'm sorry, second chapter, Paul is um, he, he's basically giving his defense. So uh, he's referring back to all the things that happened in his life, and um, he's referring to a period of time just few days after the Jerusalem Council. So the Jerusalem Council was a council where the big question was how do Gentiles get to be Christians? Do they get to be Christians by being Jewish first, then Christians? Is it like, is it a, a two-step journey or is it a one-step journey? And um, the the decision of the Jerusalem Council was that it is a one-step journey. You, you don't need to become Jewish and then Christian. You go all the way from pagan whatever to Christian. And so the signs uh, of the Jewish rite of conversion, um, circumcision, it was not to be required of Gentiles who converted to Christ. And so the Jerusalem Council said that there are a few things that we, we should ask for, for these Gentile Christians, um, but it's not necessary to become a Jew, first of all. Well, another character in the mix is Peter. And if Paul is a colorful character, so is Peter. Maybe we're going to see that he was one of the snowmen. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I am sure, but I'm not going to tell you yet. Um, what did Peter do? So Peter was at a gathering with people who were in the middle of this kind of um, theological confusion and, and debate around Gentiles in the church, um, along with the, the Jewish believers. And Peter was having lunch, and he picked up his lunch tray and moved it when he saw some Jewish believers come. Presumably he was with Gentile believers. And Paul walked into the cafeteria and hit the roof. Was Paul much different than Saul? Well, in terms of personality, here we might say, you know, it was still the same guy. I mean, he still was was kind of like a powder keg, right? Because when he saw what Peter did, um, here's what Paul himself confesses. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Have you ever been a fly on the wall in that kind of a, a relationship or that kind of a conversation? It is scary. When somebody goes after somebody and it's in public, so you can imagine just exactly what that looked like. That Peter is, is doing a Peter thing, which is Peter was not dependable, right? He would, he would say one thing and then do another thing. He would be stellar one moment and then he would just trip up and fall the next 
Um, it, that's something we love about Peter because he's kind of like us. But when he did one of those, you know, outtakes, he would wish, Paul said, Peter. And he says, I opposed him to his face. What, you, you didn't ask, could we have a quiet talk in the corner? You didn't write him an email. You know, you didn't uh, invite a pastor to meet with the two of you to, to work out this conflict between you? No, because Paul still had this persona that said, that's wrong, and I'm going to confront it. Do you know people who are like that when something seems to be wrong to them and they, they can't see any other way? Um, and... It is even trickier when they're right, that the way that they're calling it is accurate. And you want to say, but are you sure that's the way you want to deal with this? Let's go a little bit farther in, in our sort of postmortem of, of Saul. Another thing that happened is that at the start of the second missionary journey, um, Barnabas, who was Paul's first partner in the missionary journey, uh, we're talking about strategy, about the second missionary journey. Which, which churches should we go back to? Where should we go first? How, how will we go? What, what's the route and all of that thing? And here's what it says in Acts. But there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him, and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. So who's Mark? Mark is John Mark. And John Mark had, had basically disappointed, deserted Paul, in, in, in Paul's view, in, in the first missionary journey. Barnabas, and if we were continue to think about sort of typing people, Barnabas was a second chance kind of guy. Like, I, I know John Mark didn't do well in the first journey, but I think we should give him another chance. Paul was not a second chance kind of guy. It's like you blow it once, you've blown it forever. He disappointed us, we can't count on him. And Paul and Barnabas, so imagine the angst that was drawn out of Barnabas, the, the son of encouragement, an encourager, when he's going toe-to-toe with, with his mentor, really his leader, the captain, and he says, Paul, I beg you, let's bring John Mark. And Paul says, I, I'm, I'm not hearing it. He quit once, he'll quit again. He wasn't loyal first time. I'm not sure there's any reason to think he'll be loyal the second time. And Barnabas, and if you are a Barnabas type, he sort of drew up the strength and the nerve and said, well then, I think we're going to have to go separate ways. And he took John Mark, whereas Paul chose Silas, and they went off in their direction. There's... um. I, I'm Irish enough to tell you lots of things that won't type me because I think Irish is all nine of the... <laughs> One time at a, I had a phone call from a pastor that I knew, and this pastor said, 
there's a young man from my church that's coming to Regent College, and he needs a mentor. And Ian, honestly, I'll tell you this. He won't amount to much. Well, you tell an Irish person that, and you know exactly what my response was. Um, I said, we'll see about that. He did amount to much. He became a very successful student, and he's an author, has written a book on marriage, and uh, he and his wife and family are lovely believers and examples and leaders in the church. But the guy that was talking to me was a Paul. It was like, I don't know that I'm not a Paul, but I know that at that moment I was more interested in being Barnabas. Um, when, when someone has said, he'll not amount to anything, hopefully there's somebody nearby who says, we'll see about that. Well, that, that was Barnabas in the relationship between Paul and John Mark. We don't have a lot more to get through, but here is what we will go to. In Second Timothy, uh, the letter that Paul wrote um, probably just before um, his martyrdom, uh, when he's in prison the second time in Rome, the letter that he writes. So this is the letter written by an older man, Paul, by a seasoned Paul, by a person almost at the end of his journey. He says, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for service. Isn't that one of the loveliest passages in the New Testament? By the way, um, I don't think I'm going to be long for this earth. Um, all the things I hoped, where I hoped to, to go, I, maybe, not, maybe not going to happen. But I do need some company here. I do need some help. Could you bring Mark because he'd be a great deal of help to me. That just short passage gives hope to everyone who despairs that their personality is going to be their albatross for the rest of their life. Uh, I don't know what all went on in in Paul's head. We don't really know a lot about uh, what happened as far as Mark was concerned. Um, But at the end of it all, Paul probably in his cell, is thinking through his life, and he's saying, are there some things that I should have done differently than I did? Are there some ways that I can redress those mistakes? I've never been able to get Mark out of my mind and the fact that I wouldn't give him a second chance. I wonder if he could be brought, because I think he would be a lot of help to me. What, what do we learn sort of in a composite way of um, looking at Paul as a great example of this type on the Enneagram, this perfection person? We recognize some of us ourselves, some of us others, um, but we understand that there is this perfection sort of a pursuit, this perfection sort of need. We, we, we come across people often maybe, who are really sure about something. In fact, they are so sure that you're, you're kind of nervous about taking a different point of view. Um, I'm sure they belong characteristically in some um, ethnicities. Annabeth is half Dutch. 
But that's beside the point, isn't it? These persons that that just know what they know, they know it in their gut. And when you encounter someone like that, and and you want to have some kind of transaction with them, how how do you approach them? How how would you approach Paul, who is saying no, not on your life about John Mark, um, Barnabas? If if anyone had an opportunity to to sort of poke into Paul's heart and, and change his thinking. Surely it would have been a Barnabas. Who, who else would Paul give, you know, the right to challenge him and, and say something different? But even that didn't work. We will encounter people who are so sure of something in their gut. They are so sure of it that the only thing that is going to change their mind is a Damascus Road experience. There are others whom, when when they're confronted, they will they will just crash and say, "Wow, you've made a good point. I'm I'm very interested in what you said." I have, from time to time over the years, attended debates, the kind of debates that Christian organizations um, arrange between theists and atheists, those sort of debates. And whoever said at some point that that would be a redemptive tool was wrong. I've seen atheists win people, even when Christians win arguments. You know, you know what I mean? That, that the idea that if we just declared the truth convincingly, if, if we can make their argument just nothing, if not something to be scorned. That's what this is all about. And, and all the time you hear Jesus in the background saying, but I told you to love your neighbor, not to argue your, with your neighbor, just love your neighbor. I'm sure at the end of his life, Paul would like to have been able to go back and say, I will be more loving and I will act more lovingly in my relationships. But the old Paul that was part of his wiring um, and then sadly corrupted by the fall. So that's, I think, you know, the model that we have for all of ourselves. We're probably wired in one way, maybe one of the nine. But then the problem is, even the wired me is corrupted by the fall. And so whatever possibility there is for a downside in, in the bent that I have, um, Satan will pounce on that and say, how, how bad can I make this? How bad can I make a person whose need is to be perfect. How bad can I make him in relationship with other people? How bad of a human can I make him? On the other hand, when that person becomes a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit says, how can I use that passion to make a movement um, to change this world? So if, if you are, someone who has a need to be perfect, just kind of watch your back, but go for it. 
What is it that God wants to do in the world through you? How does he want to change your generation through you? The strength of your character, the strength of your personality, is one that just knows that this is the calling that's on your life and nothing is going to stop you. Nothing is going to slow you down. You will be that soccer player who sees the goal and who says, I'm going to move that ball down that field. If anyone gets in my way, I'll tackle them. It'll be clean. I will get around them, and that ball will be in that net. And the people watching will say, my goodness, who would have thought he could get the ball from there all the way into the corner of the goal? Well, that, that's what this kind of a person is like. Paul is a great example. Paul is, in the story of Christianity, um, Paul's character looms really large. We would not know a great deal of what we know. We would not be where we are apart from the passionate work of, of this guy um, who started off determined to kill Christians and ended up determined to reach the world for Christ. We're going to sing a song in closing that talks about how how this all works and how that it is so important to look to the growth of our lives in Christ um, and that we we are changed in the ways that we want to be changed, the ways that we should be changed. So here we are. We can show up with what we were born with. Maybe God can clean it up by his spirit and say, let's get the negative aspects out of the way, and let's change you into who you will be.